We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sanders gets it left side. Big room and a touchdown for Sanders. His second. Throws to the end zone. Touchdown. Adam Thielen makes the catch. Throws over the middle. It's caught by the former Raven. Hayden Hurst reaches for the goal line. In for the touchdown. Deep one. End zone. Caught. Touchdown. DJ Chark, the over-the-shoulder grab. And now Brady under pressure, and he's brought down. Back at the 27-yard line by Brian Burns. And it's picked. J.C. Horn. Panthers have it, and will score. It's taken into the end zone by Jeremy Chin. Bryce Young, off-play action. Deep ball into the end zone. Oh, what a throw on the money for the touchdown. All right, Panthers fans, you asked for it. You've been asking for it for a couple of weeks now, and you got it. It's the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire, presented by our friends at Prize Picks. I'm your host, John Ellis, back with Billy Marshall here later in the week as we are set to break down what has been, uh, look, in the short term, a tumultuous uh, couple of games there since we last spoke. Detroit, uh, of course, taking care of of the Carolina Panthers uh, with a 40-burger, and Miami backs that up with another 40-burger of their own against a defense that uh, not only is leaky in the run game, has been missing pieces in the secondary, but all of a sudden you're finding out that uh, the top layer of this defense, your first line of defense, when those guys go down, boy, the depth or lack thereof really, really shows. So we've got a lot to touch on here. The Panthers, of course, or at 0-6, a lot to get to, though, as they're on their bye week now. So what we're going to do here in this particular episode is just walk you through sort of a first third of the season state of the Panthers soliloquy, if you will, from yours truly. And then tomorrow, uh, possibly on Friday, before the end of the week, I guarantee you that, the old mailbag, the question and answer podcast. Something we're looking to staple into the weekly rotation here. We'll separate the two shows and give you a full 30 minutes or so of just answering a litany of questions you've had uh, over the past couple of weeks or so as Panthers fans here. All righty, welcome back into the Roar Podcast. We have a pulse. We're still here. It's brought to you by prizepicks.com, and we are on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Ellis. My co-host and partner in crime, Billy Marshall, is still with us here, uh, just not today. He'll be back soon. And we've got a lot to get to in terms of uh, what's going on with you, Carolina Panthers. Obviously, it's been a disappointing start at 0-6. A lot of uh, uh, just angst that still carries over 
from what has been a really tumultuous tenure for this ownership group led by, uh, of course, majority owner David, for this ownership group led. We're here. It's back. It's the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire, presented by PrizePicks.com. I'm your host, John Ellis. Billy Marshall's off today. We're back together later in the week. And we got a lot to get to here. Look, uh, I want to just say first at the top of the show here before we dive into the state of the Panthers, which will be the common theme of the podcast today. Uh, thank you all for checking in on me personally here. I dealt with uh, what was a brutal bout of non-COVID illness over the past week or so. I'm feeling better now. I've got my voice back. Uh, as you guys know, I do radio for iHeart uh, on the sports side of things, and it's been a struggle bus getting through some of that to the point where I've had to do some shows remotely there. All right, we've got a pulse, baby. Yeah, you thought we were done? Just when they thought we were out, they pull us back in. It's the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire, presented by Price Picks. Hey, it's your host, John Ellis. My co-host, Billy Marshall's off today. He's back with us later this week as we've got a lot to get to together. But I thought I'd pop in and give you a little bit of the State of the Panthers address as we are uh, one-third the way through the season, at least in terms of the weekly schedule breakdown. It's so hard with the odd number of games now. Used to be, you know, I, I for the years, I'd chunk up the season in little quarters there, four, 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 and four, and there's 16 games. And uh, now it's like, yeah, you're either nine or eight or an eight and nine. And, and now the Panthers are 0-6, and I don't think they're going to reach the mark that I thought they would. My final pick on that, I think, was eight and nine. I had them initially at nine and eight. Uh, maybe I flip-flopped that. I can't remember. So much has happened over the past six weeks and the preseason as well. But the bottom line, I felt this team was equipped to challenge, uh, you know, a, a little bit of what they did last season in terms of, okay, they had seven wins. Uh, maybe they can up that by one this year. But, again, logic goes out the window when you're talking about the NFL. Look around the landscape. Uh, you're seeing teams like the Jets without their star quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, holding down the fort at 3-3. Three and three. You're seeing other teams like the Vikings, the Giants, who had some of the best wins in the league last year, albeit close wins, coming back to the pack now. The Patriots can't find their rhythm. They're at 1-5. and five, But this show, of course, is about your Carolina Panthers. And I, I want to start the show on a personal note. I want to give a hat tip to my my buddy, my partner in crime, Billy Marshall, for his patience with me over the past couple of weeks. The delay in shows is completely on me. I've had uh, just a ton on my plate from other obligations, including uh, stuff with my family. That's It's all good. It's just life stuff. Um, I've also had my own bout of an illness last week. It was non-COVID related, but it was bad. Uh, I couldn't talk for a couple days, sore throat, fever. All the nasty stomach stuff you can imagine. I think that's all you want to hear about that. But I'm back, and uh, you can follow us there at uh, BillyM underscore 91. Uh, that's Billy's Twitter account. You can follow me at One Panther Place on, on Twitter as well, uh, or X or whatever Elon wants us to call it now. It's still Twitter to me, man. It's still Twitter to me. So a lot to get to, and just thank you for your patronage and your patience. Uh, we will be doing a uh, about a 45-minute chat today. On, on just the general state of the Panthers, we'll look back a little bit at what happened last week at Miami. Uh, the Bryce Young development. What am I seeing? Um, and I'm sure Billy's got his own thoughts, and I can't wait to get his later um, in, in this podcast uh, over the course of the week. But I, I, I see things that I'd like to share with you that uh, I don't know if it's going to make you feel better or worse or indifferent or mad at me or or whatever. Um, but but I'm going to be, if if nothing... 
uh, completely honest, as I always am on this show. Um, there, there was a funny comment, uh, and I follow my good friends over at the Carolina Huddle, uh, Jeremy Ego's outfit over there. I, I, you know, again, before I became, I, I guess, a part of the peripheral media, as some have said. <laughs> again, my responsibilities have expanded a little bit. I do the Clemson pregame show for football and basketball. I host a weekly show down here in Greenville, South Carolina on Fox Sports Upstate, and uh, I'm a reporter now for 99.7 The Fox, which is the flagship station of the Panthers, and this podcast has remained my uh, my, my prized jewel. The favorite thing we do every week is to come on here and be able to relax in a less formal environment and just talk ball. So that's what we're going to do today. No punches will be pulled, and I'm going to give you my complete analysis on some of the questions that I know are burning for you guys. In fact, we've got a mailbag segment today, a Q&A. You had questions. We've got answers. It's funny. I was putting together this show uh, earlier today, and I had to stop midstream because <laughs> I, I saw a, a few other comments come in from some tweets, and people were saying, drop the episode. Drop it already. <laughs> Made a video out there. You can find it in one Panther place. Like, let me cook. I'm trying. I'm literally in the middle of it. Uh, again, we are sponsored by Price Picks. Uh, more on their great work later. Uh, you can go download the Price Picks app now. It's a wonderful resource and tool for all your fantasy football needs. Price Picks and PricePicks.com. So, where are these Carolina Panthers? Where does this team stand right now? As we come to you, uh, middle of the afternoon on a Wednesday. Well, some big news out of the Panthers camp. On uh, Tuesday, as it was announced by head coach Frank Reich, in a highly unexpected move, at least from my perspective, but a move that I think raised eyebrows in terms of the timing, was the uh, shift from play calling duties from Reich, who he's a guy that, that's kind of owned that over the years. Reich has now bequeathed that responsibility to uh, Thomas Brown. And we'll share some thoughts on Thomas Brown's background, some of his uh, bona fides, if you will, and my thoughts on what this could do for this offense. You're guaranteed nothing in this league, although we have seen this before. Ironically enough, Jim Caldwell, and I'm not comparing these two situations in any way, shape, or form because I don't think Carolina is playoff bound this year. I think we pretty much established that. But I know back in the 2012 season uh, with Baltimore Ravens, Cam Cameron was the offensive coordinator. And I believe it was a game they had against Denver at home where uh, John Fox's Denver Broncos came in and just absolutely throttled that defense, or throttled that offense, I should say, for Baltimore. And John Harbaugh made a tough decision. He uh, dismissed Cam Cameron in the middle of what was a playoff run at that point, promoted, ironically enough, Jim Caldwell, who is an assistant with the Panthers now. And Jim Caldwell got the offense moving in a better direction. The defense stepped up as well. Special teams were great. And that team ended up winning a championship. So you look at these moves, even back to last year, midseason moves can go one of two ways. We're used to this in Carolina. And again, every situation is a little bit different. Uh, you look back at what happened when uh, Ron Rivera was fired midseason. And of course, Perry Fuel took over. That was a demoralizing season in a lot of ways. And that was the final death knell emotionally for a lot of these veterans in the locker room. Missing Cam Newton, of course, on IR. And you could just see that Perry Fuel was there to hold down the fort to get through the rest of the season. 
and they didn't win a single game after Rivera was fired. And not surprisingly, they were depleted on a lot of the sides of the ball. McCaffrey still had that 1,000-1,000 season, but again, they were not effective at all after firing Rivera. But I understood the move at the time. It made sense. It made sense that uh, Ron looked at it. I think it, I think he's talked about this as you know, a mutual understanding that I don't want to be fired, but if it's going to happen, let's do it now so I can get ahead of things. And now he's uh, grinding away in Washington and doing some pretty good things. We saw this back in 2021 when Matt Rule, in a much different way, um, in a one, one that just didn't leave a good taste in my mouth in particular, fired Joe Brady uh, on the back end of their bye week and promoted Jeff Nixon. And Nixon was in an impossible spot in that 2021 season, but it was much the same as 2019 when you put a new OC in, a new system in. Uh, the results are going to be variable, and, and sometimes it works out. Sometimes it's not going to be instant. Sometimes the it just goes downhill fast. Jeff Nixon was not put in a great situation to jump into that and be successful, and the entire team was just a disaster at that point. They were loaded with veterans, um, and uh, including guys like Stephon Gilmore who were hurt. They brought Cam Newton back. He was on the bench rotating in and out with Sam Darnold and company and P.J. Walker, and now you look at what's going on with this situation last year where Matt Rule was fired after the, uh, I believe it was one and three start. I always remember, was it one and three or one and four? Maybe it was one and four after they lost the 49ers. And Steve Wilkes comes in and the results were not instant. I'm just taking a sip. <laughs> Excuse me, taking a sip of my water here. I promise you it's water. I promise you it's, as much as I want it to be <laughs> a nice Jameson on ice right now. Um, uh, you got to stay clean in these situations. Uh, look, when Wilkes took over, it was not instant gratification. There, there was some excitement, yours truly included, when Wilkes was given an opportunity to take over this team as an interim head coach. He did so uh, in short order by uh, electing to move Robbie Anderson off the team uh, in conjunction with Scott Fitterer, Dan Morgan, and it was apparent in the middle of that game that uh, Andy Anderson, who was now Robbie Chosen, who was having words on the sidelines with uh, then wide receiver coach Joe Daly, Steve Wilkes in the locker room. And they ended up trading him and getting draft capital from it. And, you know, they dealt McCaffrey. We all know that. Um, and then Wilkes started redefining and restructuring the identity of that team. So the entire operation started operating at a higher level um, because in a lot of ways things were simplified. Steve did not wax or wane on the offensive side. He let Ben McAdoo know, look, our strengths are our strengths. Let's play to those. We have a downhill, attacking, aggressive offensive line that's probably better suited to be moving the line of scrimmage instead of being in pass sets 40 times a game if we can help it. And the couple of losses they had, namely at, uh, at Cincinnati last year, um, and a couple of others I'm sure I can think of, uh, the one against the Rams comes to mind, uh, they they did not pass protect very well at all. So you could see there was a simplification of what was, I wouldn't say a complex offense, but with Matt Rule at the helm, it was complete chaos every week, it seemed. With Frank, here's the thing with, with, with Coach Reich. Um, he's traditionally been a slow starter. I don't put a lot of stock into that as being something you look at and say, well, now they're 0-6, it'll start cooking right away. Every season has its own DNA, own personality. And 
during training camp, you know, I had a chance to talk to Coach Reich, as did many of my colleagues, and, and got a chance to talk to Thomas Brown. And, and you, you guys have heard this reported numerous times uh, from our friends Mike Kay from the Charlotte Observer, who just wrote a great piece today, sort of a, a third-of-the-way season, if you will, state of the team address of his own. And you can find that at charlotteobserver.com. If you're not subscribing, look, you should just pay whatever they're asking and do it because Mike's work is worth it. And it's not that much, honestly, to subscribe to The Observer. I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't like it. Um, you should also follow Joe Person from The Athletic as well. Those are two standard guys to follow. Sheena Quick and Vashti Hurd as well. And a host of others. Look, I don't have time to go down the whole list here, but you get the point. It's been reported widely over the the past few months, even when times were happier and there were smiles on everybody's faces back at Walford that, oh, yeah, at some point, you know, Frank is going to hand the play calling duties over to Thomas Brown. And I think that was a big part of the conversation from my understanding that they had when bringing Brown into the fold. Again, you have to remember, Frank was hired and he came apparently there was i think a story he told or somebody else told about his hiring where he came in with a a binder of notes and ideas on what he'd be open and, and and able to do in terms of constructing a staff but i've also heard from others uh that are close to the team that uh scott and dan morgan had a huge hand in assembling this staff as well so i don't want to pretend that frank came in and said you know what Yeah, I got all these guys that are my guys ready to go. And that gets back to the central point, more on Thomas Brown in a minute, but the central point, I think, of what I probably missed the mark on in my preseason analysis of this team. And again, I talked to somebody here recently who is uh, a longtime NFL personnel guy, a guy who's been around uh, some of the better teams in the league for a while and a guy who knows uh, the current head coach of the Panthers and his ways pretty well. And the common theme you kind of hear from collecting sort of these conversations and snippets of comments from people you speak to around the league, and it's an inference I should have drawn myself, is when you have this diversity of thought, as Frank Reich had talked about, so many new cooks in the kitchen that come from different backgrounds. Frank obviously has a past with uh, certain guys on the staff, including Parks Frazier, who's an offensive assistant there. But he had no background with Thomas Brown. And I felt like the conglomeration of bringing in all of these new coaches, no matter the bona fides, and I got this sense around the second week of the preseason, because once you start to put the tape on some of the preseason games, you can't tell everything, but you can see some fundamental flaws and some fundamental just things that are not quite clicking that could present problems. James Campen, of course, was retained from the uh, the staff that Matt Rule had put together the year prior. And I actually applaud Rule, and I don't know if it was so much Matt, but whoever decided James Campen should be coaching the line, I, I thought it was an effective hire because James did some good work with that unit moving forward. But you have to remember one thing we talked about, Billy and I on this show, two things. Um... Well, just one thing here, and we'll get to the individual players here as we kind of hand out some report cards early on, on on the starters. When you try to mesh what they did last year from a pass protection, run block scheme perspective with a brand new head coach who is, um, it's a collaborative effort, of course, in terms of play calling and weekly install and ideas. And I believe Frank with that. The one thing I'll say about Coach Reich is he's not full of shit. Now, all coaches are going to feed you a line of crap from time to time to preserve their locker room, and I get that. But Frank has been very direct and honest, and he fulfilled his 
obligation and his promise to Thomas Brown. Not that you wrote anything in this league, but Thomas is a bright guy. Again, comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree, has had time with Sean McVay in Los Angeles. And I'm interested to see, uh, just as giving you my perspective on this very intense offensive coordinator, 37 years old, and he's former running back for Georgia, of course. I believe he had a cup of coffee in the National Football League. He played for the Falcons and Browns, in fact, back around the turn of the last decade. And his pedigree is as follows. Uh, He started his coaching career as a strength and conditioning coach at Georgia in 2011. Moved on to Chattanooga 2012 as the running backs coach. Uh, Did the same uh, when Marshall came calling in 2013. Was the running back coach at Wisconsin, a team known for developing very good running backs in 2014. Went back to Georgia to coach their running backs in 2015. And then Miami uh, had him in there as their offensive coordinator running backs coach. So he has experience in the offensive coordinator realm uh, on a high level in the college game. Uh, Running back coach for South Carolina back in 2019. And then he breaks into the NFL as the running back coach for the Rams in 2020 during the pandemic year. Gets an elevation to assistant head coach and running back coach in 2021. Assistant head coach and tight ends coach back in 2022. And uh, now he's the OC for the Panthers. So the, the, the big one here, I think, is the assistant head coach role that he carried for two years with Sean McVay through some of the ups and downs. Assistant head coach during a Super Bowl year and assistant head coach in what was a tumultuous down year after that. That's valuable experience. It gives you a perspective of game management, clock management, tempo. And I think his, his perspective, there's a narrative out there again. We, we play the extremes card. I only, just to be fair, and some have brought this up to me, uh, that, you know, John, you were hard on Matt Rule. Why not the same about Frank? I don't find that I was that hard on Matt Rule six games into his tenure, although there was more evidence to conclude by that point that this hire might not have been something they should have done based on prior precedent of college coaches with almost no NFL experience working out. I, I can think of a handful of examples where it ever has, Jimmy Johnson being the preeminent name that comes to mind. So it was an outlier, and, and they took a leap with it, and, and I thought, and I, I've been very direct about how I feel about the ownership, but I did give Dave Tepper credit for pulling the plug on this thing when he did and giving Wilkes a chance. Now, we can argue that you know, Wilkes should have had the job. He should have maintained the job. Um I gave that a good hard look when I made my own considerations for this. Not that my opinion matters, at least in terms of them making a decision. No shit, John. They're not going to listen to me. But I thought this team was going to be better served moving forward. If they're going to draft a quarterback number one overall, try to install some type of offensive infrastructure that gives him an opportunity to succeed. That can be a bit of a myth at times. Um, it's early doings, but it's working fine when you look at what's going on in Houston when you bring in D'Amico Ryans, uh, a highly effective leader who has done a great job getting that team uh, motivated and ready to play at a high level and, and playing highly functional football. And Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator, has done a great job pulling C.J. Stroud along in his rookie year. He's been almost mistake-free. And... I know for Panthers fans, that's been a tough pill to swallow, and, and the comparison game comes in, especially when you're sacrificing draft capital and one of the more popular players and, and more productive players in DJ Moore 
to move up to get your ticket stamped for the number one overall pick. But back to the hiring process, you know, Frank was a good hire, I thought. And I'm not going to backtrack on that quite yet. And here's why. I think the timing of this move now gives this very competent football mind in, in Coach Reich an opportunity to step back and to do something he hasn't done in his head coaching career, and that's manage the team, manage the situations. Let's see if he has that in him. Let's see if he's made of that. And it might give him more time along the course of the week if he needs to, to work with some other parts of the team, maybe defensively. He'll be in a few more of those meetings at times. He said in his press conference this week he still intends on being in the quarterback meetings, and I think that's a healthy thing. And had Frank had no success ever in the NFL, if we're looking at somebody like Pat Shermer or, or uh, you know, any other names out there, even like a Dennis Allen who they beat the Panthers this year, but guys who have never had like winning seasons in the NFL, I'd look at it and say, you know what, yeah, this, this is feeling bad already. But I keep leaning on the fact that Reich, I know it wasn't all perfect. I know they fell apart back in 2021, but I've seen some of the games they played throughout the four course of those seasons. I saw in that 2021 season where Reich and that offense was, they were missing multiple offensive linemen down the stretch. I know they had Jay Taylor there, and he's tremendous. But they were able to win some big games, momentum changing games over the course of those several years Reich was there. Hell, they beat Mahomes and the, the Chiefs last year. And Reich was still the coach at that point. Now, the offense didn't light it up, but he was still the head coach and they won the game. So, I'm not ready to fire anybody right now, and that would include the general manager, Scott Fitter. Now, I, I do have some thoughts here later in the show on Scott, and I think you guys have more than enough questions that I can address on that. So I'll give you my perspective on where I'm at with the GM of the team who now has been here for a few years, and, and the thinking is, hey, he has his own operation out of run without interference from, from Matt Rule. My thinking was, okay, now this is an opportunity to show if you have the chops to be a long-term, sustainable, winning general manager in the NFL. And now he's going to have that opportunity to showcase that. Hey, it's John Ellis for Prize Picks. The most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season can be found at Prize Picks. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Testing my skills on prize picks this football season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn 10 bucks into 250 bucks with just a few taps. It's simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. This week on prize picks, I'm going to go with Amon Ross St. Brown to have more than 78 and a half receiving yards against Baltimore. And I'll go with our old friend DJ Moore for the Bears to have more than 58 and a half receiving yards against the Las Vegas Raiders. It's so much fun to play prize picks. Hit the entries tab and it's easy to follow all your picks throughout the football season and much, much more. Go to pricepicks.com slash ROAR and use the code ROAR, R-O-A-R, for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pricepicks.com slash ROAR and use the code ROAR. Daily fantasy sports made easy at PricePix. So that's the rub of it right now with, with Scott Fitterer. You have questions about that in our mailbag. You can go to One Panther Place on Twitter, and uh, there's a post up there. I'll retweet it 
later. And if you've got more questions throughout the next couple of days, add to that. And then the upcoming episodes, we'll keep uh, filtering out our answers on your questions. But Scott Fitter is front and center. And, you know, the seats are always hot in the NFL. But I do like the Thomas Brown move. I think what you'll find from Thomas is a slow transition, although they do have a bye week, into... I don't know if you're going to see what McVay did with Goff in terms of getting in his ear early in the plays when Goff was a rookie. Maybe they'll go to some of that type of communication. Uh, I found it interesting that Brown in his press conference, uh, when he met with us on Wednesday, did mention, uh, I'm sorry, when he met with us on Tuesday, did mention that he was still going to be on the field. And he talked about, you know, the energy quotient. The fact that he likes to move around a lot. He's a you know running back coach. He's a running back by design. And uh, he, he's a running back by trade. And he's a running back's uh, coach for many years. And now he's in an offensive coordinator capacity where his game has expanded. And make no mistake, you don't have to follow uh, you know too many guys around the league who talk about Thomas Brown to understand. And I know this personally from talking to people around the organizations he has spent time with. That Thomas has a keen understanding of the complete offensive spectrum. Frank Reich made it a point to say that and say it honestly and bluntly when he met with us this week. And I think that's going to showcase itself when you've got a different voice in the ear. Uh, And to this point, it has been Frank Reich in the ear of the quarterback Bryce Young. Um, Sometimes coaches who call plays will have another guy filter in the play. At times I've heard quarterback coaches will... Uh, call the plays into the earpiece. Uh, it's going to be all Thomas Brown. I like his communication style. Not that I don't like Frank's, and not that Frank can't do it. Not that Frank hasn't had success with quarterbacks in the past. I- I'm trying not to look at this as well. His time with the Colts was up and down. Uh, there were good moments and bad moments, and it's all translating into what we're seeing right now. Again, diversity of thought. The word they used in those opening press conferences and when they brought in that staff, and they used it during training camp, especially Frank. It is true, and it's hard to marry, again, like I said earlier, James Campen's offensive line background with the current state of the line, which, by the way, I want to get to that in a minute. Akeem Aquanu, left tackle, who's been healthy all year. He's had his ups and downs. You're missing your incumbent left guard, Brady Christensen, and before you're too quick to say, ah, you know, he was just a jag, just another guy, Uh, Let's take a closer look at maybe the film and understand that there were some early struggles from his replacement, Chandler Zavala, that made you wish you still had that that guard in place, Christensen, and also giving Zavala a little more time to develop, and also the continuity issue. And this goes back to one of the more valuable players on this team, although it's hard to identify at times who are the best guards in the league. We, We know the names that come across as the best guards, and they earn the reputation. Uh, Quentin Nelson has had that reputation for a long time. Zach Martin. Corbett, just based on his metrics, when you look at like PFF and then you confirm it with a tape, when you go back and look at his durability up until this point, he's been one of the more durable, respected right guards in the entire conference, if not the league. And when his injury happened at the end of last season and the recovery time was sort of extended out to the centerpiece of this season I I was really troubled by that and when Christensen went down I was equally troubled by that not that the guys behind them are bad I still like Cade Mays in a developmental role I still like Chandler Zavala in the same fashion Throckmorton I think has had decent moments at times but it's clear that he's a downgrade from Corbett and Bozeman you know he's been getting a little bit of flack at times for some up and down play but when you're the center 
and you're responsible for managing the the entirety of what you do at that position, which goes beyond just hiking the ball to a rookie quarterback, which in itself is a big transition. He's responsible for a lot in terms of anchoring that line mentally and physically. And I think overall there have been ups and downs there too, but he's having to manage a guard to his right that has barely played in this league in Throckmorton and a guard on his left, Zavala at one point, who had never played in the league and had a really, really rough opening few weeks. And there's no other way to put it. And we'll get into more of the conversation about the individual personnel. But Campen had to take that and merge it with, with Frank Reich's play-calling scheme and ideas. I, I do think, and again, this is just my, my feel on it. It's not an ironclad statement. I think maybe, and I'm not going to speak for Coach Reich, I'm not going to speak for anybody in that building, but, and I'm not speaking anybody's words out of turn here. I'm not even sourcing this. This is just my theory. And I don't think it's a reach that maybe they put a little too much on Bryce's menu to start the season. The idea that David Tepper is in the meetings helping construct the game plans is ridiculous. I've seen a lot of pushback on David Tepper, and I've got some words about where the owner may um, need to reevaluate his certain um, element as the owner of this team. But you can't fire an owner, and I'm not suggesting they should, although a lot of fans right now are highly frustrated with him. But I don't think you can point to some of the current situations right now and say, well, you know, the owner is meddling to a point where he's instructing. I saw this theory put out that David Tepper was a big fan of the S2 cognition test. Thus, he directed Frank Wright clearly to put a lot on his plate right away in terms of checks at the line, in terms of uh, you know reading coverages, in terms of having a lot of pre-snap responsibility, and maybe putting more in terms of the passing game on him instead of leaning a little more on the running game. And that's a preposterous assertion it doesn't work that way even here now we can have a whole other conversation about tepper's um involvement in the draft process and i think for me i billy may differ when we join forces again on this show here shortly but i'm not ready to have the stroud versus young versus richardson conversation yet i probably won't be ready to have that until maybe the middle of next season at the earliest Uh, i just i'm not interested in having it I don't think it's an indictment on any of these teams right now for who they picked. It's way too early. These kids are learning. They're all young. They're being thrown into tough situations. Now, if you want to make the argument that that Bryce Young is too small to play in the NFL, so be it. He is a bit of an outlier. But on tape, I'm not seeing his lack of size intimidate him in terms of standing in the pocket, reading the field, going through progressions and making throws. The fact of the matter is, folks, they're bad up front in the running game. They're bad up front in the passing game. They got better in the run game last week against Miami. I got thoughts on personnel that help with that, including the running back. But in pass protection, it's every week, almost every week. It's just a constant barrage of pressure, and sometimes it's three-man pressures they're throwing. And Bryce has very limited opportunities to read recognize and let routes develop and some of the routes and again this falls back on frank some of the route concepts and calls situationally had been puzzling to say the least you want to go follow jt o'sullivan i I watched the tape earlier this week and then i saw jt's breakdown and i was waiting for his bryce young breakdown because he he featured the last play call that frank called basically at the end of the game and it's a you know it's a who gives the fuck kind of play i get that but it was just go go seek it out or check out Twitter later. I'll post it. It was a play destined to fail. And 
honestly, Adam Thielen has been a just a wonderful surprise. Um, I, I expected him to be good this year. I, I, I came into the season telling you, look, from the red zone perspective, he's going to give you a great deal of acumen in terms of knowing how to read the voids and coverage and zone. In terms of if he's in man, he can still have enough separation in short area to give a guy like Bryce, who is immensely accurate with placement when given time, a chance to be a touchdown machine in the red zone. The fact is they just haven't had enough opportunities deep in the red zone until the last couple of weeks to cash in on that. But Thielen right now is among the league leaders in receptions and yards, and he's got a pair of or a trio of touchdowns now, I should say. And he's had, I think since week two, the only receiver to have uh, 11-plus receptions in three separate games. Now, a lot of that will be pointed to as, well, John, they're down in these games, they're passing late, and there's some truth in that. I'll give you that. Um, let, let's go back and review the games real quick before we get into some of the uh, deep dive on the, the state of the team. Again, it's the Roar Podcast. I'm John Ellis here with you. Thanks for joining us here as we continue to uh, look for answers together, as we always do for the Carolina Panthers. So let's rewind the tape and go back and look at what happened against the Miami Dolphins. Again, a team... That is scoring on a record pace right now. A team that can run the ball with authority, can throw the ball, um, not just you know horizontally anymore. Tua has developed an acumen to place the ball in tight windows, uh, even though the receivers they have, led by Tyreek Hill, who had an amazing game once again in this one. You have Jalen Waddle. You also have a host of other options at receiver and the skill positions that know how to make plays let me give you some of the numbers from their perspective waddle was targeted uh let's see nine times he had seven receptions 51 yards so again 7.3 yards not a bad job there but some of the plays he made including one of the touchdowns were in critical situations Tyreek Hill did what he does 10 targets six receptions playing with um I believe it was cramps at the time he was going to get IV injections several times 163 yards he had the touchdown where uh, Dante Jackson was uh, was in charge of that assignment on the boundary, and that's uh, that's tough doings. Don, Dante, that, that's another one we need to talk about maybe later in the week in terms of uh, future contracts. Um, names have been mentioned, I believe, by Albert Breer and others in terms of potential trade uh, bait. Uh, I don't know if Dante's in great favor with the staff right now, but I know his play has remained inconsistent. And I like Dante. I like his energy. I like his speed. But you see too many times where there have been ups and downs and inconsistencies in his game, and it's a results business. Um, Barrios made a couple big plays in the receiving game, but overall they 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 didn't have a ton of passing yards. Two hundred sixty-two. This is the fact they were able to get the long explosive play, the forty-seven yarder from Hill, the touchdown. Uh, Barrios caught uh, two balls for twenty yards, no touchdowns. Waddle got the sh- uh, short area touchdown there, and then Mostert was able to catch a touchdown pass on the ground though. And this is part and parcel with what's been happening with the Panthers over the past few years. They remain rather um, exploitable, uh, rather vulnerable in terms of uh, getting pushed around a bit in the running game. And this was a game that you thought with a 14-0 lead, in case you missed it, Carolina was able to come up with a 14-0 lead against Miami, which opened up some eyes. And I was watching the game with my son, Andrew, who's become quite a savant about this team and about football um and i absolutely love watching the game with him because i'm looking at him he's looking at me after the second touchdown and we're like nah it ain't gonna be enough (laughs) there's no way it's gonna be enough um 
here's how it started for the Carolina Panthers, okay? So uh, they got the ball in the kickoff. They go three plays and out. They punt the ball. Uh, they do hold Miami to a three. And in fact, they held them to uh, three out of the first four series were either three and outs or uh, a four and out in which they tried to Miami, the hilarious <laughs> tush push uh, throwback option that did not work to any avail there. Um but give Carolina's credit, uh, give defense some credit early on for at least uh, you know making some plays in the game to get them off the field. Carolina took advantage. Seven plays, 64 yards. Uh, the, the, the drive starter there, look at the tape on that Adam Thielen reception, the dig across the field where Bryce Young, he's got about two seconds, and then Throckmorton, the right guard. Again, it's hard to assign blame to one offensive lineman when you don't know the full structure of the pass-blocking schematics which is why I lean on guys that have actually played offensive line and coached it to really give me the perspective on some of the interior misses there. But it did appear that right guard Throckmorton was, um, was, was beaten inside on, on the three technique there. But in spite of that, Young held tight. He had just enough time and threw from that arm angle that he's able to do one of the better throws you'll see probably all season from Young, about a 20-yard downfield throw to a in-breaking Adam Thielen. Now, it was not exactly in stride, but it was on him. I, I would, If I'm grading that throw, I'm grading it an A-, minus uh, just for the fact that it wasn't led a little more, but he still had a curl defender underneath there to where you got to be careful not to squeeze that thing too far outside. Again, you got to look at it from the perspective of either a six foot five quarterback or a five foot five quarterback. If you're back there throwing it, it's hard to see the field. We see it from the perspective of an all 22 that's 300 feet and up in the air, and we're seeing it from the perspective live from a camera that tells you very little to nothing about play structure. So Bryce had a nice drive there. Chuba Hubbard ran the ball well early. Then they follow that touchdown drive. With another touchdown drive after the the uh, ensuing three and out that the Miami uh, was held to, 10 plays, 69 yards. Um, they didn't have a lot of penalties in this game either. So, again, 14 nothing lead after the first quarter. Carolina held the ball 11 minutes, one second to the Dolphins, who held the ball just a shade under four minutes in this game. That's a winning formula. That's what you want in that game. But then you could just sense that things were going to shift a, a little bit for this team. You get up 14 nothing. Carolina kicks the ball off. Uh, Tua starts from the 25. Uh, the first pass is a, a deep shot to Tyreek Hill, 27 yards. John Dante Jackson was in coverage there. Uh, you get into the second quarter there. Tua incomplete on second and 10. Mostert, seven yards. Now you set up a third and three. Then they hit Berrios uh, on a short route there. And then Tua passes to Hill for another first down. And then uh, Ahmad, the running back, goes right in for three yards. Second and seven from the 17. Tua goes short to Waddle. They're in another uh, situation where it's a short pass, but it's a 14-yard run after catch. Grugier Hill made the tackle. And then Ahmad runs for three yards. Uh, and then Tua hits the short pass to Mostert on a great play design for a touchdown. At that point, you get the sense that that's not going to work. Carolina does get the ball back. Uh, 11-13 into the quarter. They're up by seven, and they're moving the ball again. Again, What I like here, first down carries for Chuba Hubbard. Left tackle, four yards. That has been what has plagued this team so many times this season is lack of first down production, especially in the running game. Now they're getting into a second and six, which is manageable. What happens next? Shotgun, Bryce Young passed to Thielen for eight yards. First down. Back in a first down situation again. 
Bryce Young passes short to Mingo, 10 yards. So now you're getting to a rhythm where you can start to dictate things offensively. First down run for Hubbard, not as effective as the first one. Two yards, but still positive yardage. They're not going backwards. Bryce Young incomplete the Mingo on second and eight. Now you're in third and eight. And that's the trouble with, with where you are with Young in this offensive operation. You cannot live in third and eight. You can't live in second and nine or ten. And you certainly cannot go backwards. The one thing they did clean up in this game were the penalties, the pre-snap procedures. But what led to, to what led up to, to the fake punt, which we'll talk about in a minute, was the fact that Carolina could not convert a single yard on two consecutive plays after reaching midfield. I liked the play call to go fake punt there. You knew it was in the bag. Hecker uh, hits Chenault on the little pass there. And Chenault, I mean, this is what I'm talking about here. It's not to say they would have won the game. But the flow of a game can change on a dime. Whether you believe momentum is real or not, just the flow of the game, the clock, the way you can do If Carolina converts this at the time, there's, what, uh, about eight and a half minutes left in the first half. Midfield, Johnny Hecker hits Chenault. He's coming around the corner there. And give Duke Riley and, and Campbell for um, Miami a lot of credit for hustling. Chenault has got to get that first down. He has to. He stretches out, but you just, these are the little details that very good teams right now are masterful with. Now, nobody's perfect, but Chenault's foot goes out of bounds right before he's able to stretch the ball out all the way to the marker. Now, Frank Reich had a little bit of uh, conversation with the ref. I believe it was about the chains themselves, which maybe it's time to find a way to do the laser hole measurement here. But look, it goes both ways. Panthers have had plenty of breaks over the years with a measurement going their way. And in this particular case, you're, you're literally a couple of inches away from converting another first down and being in a rhythm. And then what happens? Miami takes the ball over at the 43. Again, I still don't mind the call, but Chenault has to get that first down. You have to. I like it on fourth and eight better than fourth and three because it's a little less anticipated. Although, if you know a little bit about Chris Tabor and Johnny Hecker, you probably know if you're Miami special teams coordinator, it's coming. It was pretty well covered, but Chenault, for being the bully ball that he is, has to get that extra inch. He doesn't. Mostert uh, gets uh, eight yards on the first uh, down play there. Uh, Actually, you know what? Let me go back. (laughs) Mostert. Mostert was... (laughs) Sorry. Uh, this is where it got ugly. Mostert left tackle for 49 yards. The first play coming out of the fake punt was a 49-yard run off the left side, the right side of the defense, the left side of the offense, for a freaking 50-yard gain. So just like that, you go 25 yards up the field of your Carolina on your prior drive. You have an opportunity to convert on a fourth down. And I like chasing points here. I, I, I like in that moment going for that play. But it just shows you it's a matter of inches from getting it or not. The defense has to bow up there and not let that happen. I understand Miami is very good, but they're missing like two or three offensive linemen, and they just got mauled on that run, 49 yards, and they're already at the eight-yard line. Mostert up the middle for four yards, and then two a short pass to Waddle. And Stephen Ross is up there waddling along. Before you know it, you turn around, and with eight, uh, just under eight minutes left in the half, the game is tied. Um, Carolina goes three and out on their next drive. Um, Hecker gets off a pretty good punt, and then the Dolphins go right down the field again on a more extended drive, and then Tua hits the deep shot to Tyreek Hill for 41 yards, uh, does the backflip, 
And the death nail in this game really was uh, your, your last gasp, even though it probably wouldn't have been enough, just given the, the depth factor for both teams tilting in Miami's direction. The fact that Carolina before half, and this is where you look at some of the positives here. They take over at their own 35. They've got a minute and 54 left on the clock. By the way, Raheem Blackshear, good to see him back in the lineup. He had a 31-yard return to set that up, and that's been missing. That's spark in the return game. So Bryce Young goes incomplete, second and 10. Bryce Young's incomplete. Christian Wilkins breaks it up. Third and 10, you hit Thielen, 16 yards on the right side of the formation there. And then you go no up-tempo, no huddle. You hit Thielen again for 16 yards. Uh, and then you go tempo again at the 33-yard line. You're getting close to the red zone. Another seven-yard completion to Thielen. Now you've got a second and three. Um, and, and you're going to third and three once again. Bryce Young uh, does not connect with DJ Chark, um, at least for enough yards to get the first down. It's a one-yard conversion. And then they decide, I think wisely so, well within Pinero's range, who has been perfect. And Kevin Harlan cursed him with the announcer curse. <laughs> you could hear it, Carl. And Eddie Pinero, currently the leader in the league with 24 consecutive field goals, or whatever the hell it was. And I just, I was texting like Mike Salardi after the game, like you could feel it in your veins. This was going to be a, a jinx from the broadcast booth. And it was. Uh, and, you know, Pinero missed it, and it's his fault. It was no good wide right. And now you're going into a situation where you receive the ball first. You're now down by seven where you're up by 14 and the rest of the game just goes about like you thought it would. I mean, hats off to Troy Hill. Look, I know it was against Mike White, but at least the defense showed up at a little bit of life there. But in the end, it's just not good enough defensively. And it again, just a lot of it is just simple run issues run fits, uh, getting a little bit light in the box. I'm not going to isolate one player until I take a deeper look at the defensive tape, but it's not good enough. I'll tell you that. Uh, and so I think what you're seeing defensively here, we've talked about the offense a little bit. As Jairo Evero comes in, and if you haven't heard the, the breaking news today, this just came in. Jeremy Chin, who's played less snaps now than ever in his career, about 30% per game, is going to miss extended time. This from Mike Kay from the Charlotte Observer, among others. And uh, I can confirm through my own sourcing this report is more than accurate that Jeremy Chin's going to miss uh, up to six weeks, it looks like. Now, again, that could fluctuate, but that's the early word right now. I, I got some deeper thoughts on Jeremy Chin in terms of what that means off the field in terms of potential trade value. But on the field, he still had somewhat of a role in this defense, although it was reduced. And now that's one more defensive player not on the field. You look at what they've lost. By the way, they cut Marquan McCall, the nose tackle preseason, which you can go back and, and speculate on why they would have done that, but as Mike Kay and I and, and others have observed, he was the clear-cut nose tackle for this defense who could anchor the center. Instead, they've gone with a rotation of like Shai Tuttle, Nick Thurman, and others, and it hasn't been great in the run game. You are missing now Jeremy Chin. In this particular game, you were missing Shaq Thompson, of course, who, for all of those who thought Thompson is is not good enough to still be an elite linebacker. Maybe you're right, but Thompson is a damn solid player who gets you about seven, eight, nine solid tackles a game and can pressure the quarterback when called upon. They're missing him. Um, look, Brian Burns, it's a larger conversation with him. His pass rush win rate is is still in a respectable place. It's not among some of the greats in the game right now. 
But you have to look at every situation. How many one-on-one opportunities is he getting? What type of offense are you playing? How often are you asked to jump into coverage there? Again, as I examine the defensive tape from the past few weeks, because I'm a little bit high, but I've been looking mostly at offense right now. On our next episode, I'll give you a little more of a grade on each of these defensive players. I thought Yaturgros Matos had a nice game and had a nice stretch coming into this game, but but he went out with an injury. Um, you're missing J.C. Horn. That cannot be overstated enough that you could imagine that some of these plays might have been mitigated had Horn been in the lineup. Now, they might not have beaten Miami, they might not have beaten Detroit, but they certainly would have been more competitive because J.C. is that good. You just have to be on the field. I, I think the Von Bell-Xavier Woods injuries have been massive. And I give, I give a lot of credit to the guys back there, including Sam Franklin, for, in Franklin's case, platooning and having to, to pull double duty and shift from special teams into defense. He had one of the few bright moments for the team this year, the 99-yard interception return for a touchdown against uh, Kirk Cousins. By the way, the Panthers, I think it's the first time in franchise history that they've returned two pick sixes in the same regular season. Now, postseason's different. I might be wrong on that. But I think it's the first time in a regular season they've had two pick six returns for a touchdown. In fact, if you give me just a second, my good friend um, with the Panthers uh, media relations team has just sent me a note. And let me give you the full rundown on that. Okay, here as it reads right now. Okay, with Hill's 61-yard interception return, the Panthers are the only team this season to have two interceptions returned for a touchdown for 60-plus yards. It was also the first time the Panthers have recorded two 60-plus yard interception touchdowns in a single season. So there, it's the, it's the length of them, two long interception returns. I think Troy Hill has been effective over the year for the most part. But again, defensive grades will be handed out on the next episode. Um, and the Detroit game, look, we didn't have time to cover that very much uh, last week because we were off, but Carolina, once again, was in a position. I'll give you kind of my microcosm of what happened there. I thought Bryce had a very good game down the stretch because Detroit was still trying to heat him up a little bit and blitz, and he made some good throws and, and got the offense clicking at least. Um, but early in the game, the, the, the pick to Hutchinson, look, I, the, that's a play-calling issue. You've got to stop going to your tendencies, and you eventually have to break your tendencies, and some of the screen calls they've been going to were digestible on tape or Aiden Hutchinson could see that coming from a mile away. They made an acrobatic play, like a Julius Peppers type of pick. So credit Hutchinson for good film study, and I'm not knocking that one on Bryce. Now, the second interception where I think he's trying to hit the honey hole there in a cover two look, I think it was cover two, um, he should have thrown that ball, and he's admitted as much. And he's taken full responsibility for all of these, but I thought there was some progression. But Carolina in that game, they got down now 14 nothing early against Detroit. They battle back and put together a nice drive, and they have a nice little uh, play-action shot to tremble down there in the red zone. It was a very clean drive for Bryce Young, one of the best of his career, if not the best drive he's had so far. And then they get the ball back, and people forget in the second quarter. They're in Detroit, a team they beat to a pulp last year. It's a different season, I know. But you're starting to get some confidence now that you can start getting things going. And what happens? Hand off the Miles Sanders, fumble, turnover, Game gets out of hand. The shot play right after the turnover to Laporta. And that's a microcosm. Go back to the Atlanta game. What happened with Bryce Young? Another microcosm of where the season has gone. They force Atlanta to punt early in the game. Uh, the, the Atlanta punter shanks it out of bounds. But on that play, uh, on a shank that goes out of bounds, Sam Franklin's called for a holding penalty. Now, how viable of a call it was, I didn't see the replay, so I don't know. But it's rare and it's very inopportune and very undisciplined to put yourself in a position to be called for a, 
a holding call on the return unit when the ball is sailing out of bounds in like three seconds. So you go from having great field position to being backed up in your own territory. You take a delay penalty. You have clock issues. I believe a timeout was burned early in that quarter. And now you're going from maybe your 30, 40-yard line to backed up inside your five, and it's a disaster class in game management. And it leads the quarterback, the the, the rookie who's going to press to make plays, to misread uh, what should have been read as a safety, chasing that one down and, and flying downhill to undercut the dig route from Hayden Hurst. And um, again, there are little moments each week that you can look at, like the, the Bryce Young fumble against the Saints. Um, but plays that precede that, you know, procedure calls, holding calls, um, they, they just uh, they, they will frustrate the living hell out of you here. So the Panthers right now as a whole, uh, what I want to do here is later this week, we'll go through and give like a report card grade on these position groups and give you an idea of what to look for in terms of moving forward. What's the best way for this team to manage uh, not only the offense, but the defense, the special teams. And what are some names out there player-wise that should be getting more playing time, more reps? Uh, where is Terrace Marshall in the mix? Is he on the trade market, possibly? I mean, what, what are you getting for Marshall at this point? Sixth or seventh round pick? Wouldn't you rather develop what was then a second round pick into um, a player who can be what we've seen glimpses of. Uh, Mingo, I think, has had some good moments. Chenault got dinged up, and that's unfortunate. But we'll start handing some of those grades out as well. When we return here in a moment, we will go through the mailbag. This is where we get into the nitty-gritty. You want to know about Scott Fitter, what my thoughts are? My thoughts on Frank, my thoughts on some of the players that are underperforming. A lot of questions about Akeem Aquanu, a lot of questions about Bryce Young and Brian Burns as well. I'll give you my honest take on that when the Roar Podcast returns right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's John Ellis for Prize Picks. The most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season can be found at Prize Picks. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Testing my skills on prize picks this football season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn 10 bucks into 250 bucks with just a few taps. It's simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. This week on prize picks, 
I'm going to go with Amon Ross St. Brown to have more than 78.5 receiving yards against Baltimore. And I'll go with our old friend DJ Moore for the Bears to have more than 58.5 receiving yards against the Las Vegas Raiders. It's so much fun to play prize picks. Hit the entries tab, and it's easy to follow all your picks throughout the football season and much, much more. Go to pricepicks.com slash roar and use the code roar, R-O-A-R, for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pricepicks.com slash roar and use the code roar. Daily fantasy sports made easy at Pricepicks. All right, as we wrap up this edition of the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire, just a reminder, it's brought to you by Pricepicks, pricepicks.com. Billy Marshall and I still getting our schedules aligned here. We'll be back together I would hope this week, if not sometime this weekend, perhaps. But in the meantime, we know you've got questions, burning questions about your favorite team. I think at least they're still your favorite team, the Carolina Panthers. And in this edition of Ask Us Anything, the Q&A session that we do every single episode, we now have an opportunity to open up the mailbag. And I promised you. And I had some people chirping at me saying, ah, you guys. So one guy tweeted at me, damn, the Panthers are so bad, they put the Roar podcast out of business. <laughs> so, let me just tell you something. Just before we get into this, uh, the, the mailbag here on the Roar, I've seen it all with this team. I know a lot of you guys have too, so I don't want to come across as condescending that oh, I alone have been the only one here since 95 seeing the ups and downs. I alone am the only one who experienced eight excruciating consecutive losses in John Fox's first year after starting 3-0. I alone am the only one who saw Steve Smith on the first touch he ever had in the NFL take it the distance on a kick return in Minnesota, and they lost 15 games in a row. I'm the only one who's been to every single one of the home games in 2001 come hell or high water. I don't want to pretend I'm the only one that's been through that. But it's just to say that keep your chin up. I I think the adjustments they're making over there on Mint Street are positive ones from a football side. And I think you've got a quarterback that can win you a lot of games in this league. I'm convinced of that still until I see stuff on tape that makes me say, oh, my God. And to be fair, the window on that for me is 24 months. But we do have some questions here. And, And look, there's fair questions to be to be brought up about the general manager, Scott Fitter, and some of the trades that have been made. There are fair questions to pose about the ownership, David Tepper. Um, I might not share your views on it. I might share some of your views on it. But here we go. Let's dive into it. David Gibson, a loyal listener here, uh, Gibby underscore David, 1192. He asks, what happened to Iki Aquano? Can he get better? Starting to think he can only survive in a run-heavy scheme. Very concerning looks from him lately from a supposed franchise left tackle. Uh, my analysis on Akeem Aquanu coming out, and we had discussions with guys like Matt Bowen and others about this on this podcast. Uh, you know, the, the franchise needed a left tackle, but we always knew that Aquanu, uh, based on the system he played at NC State and based on how Ben McAdoo converted the offense over after Steve Wilkes took over last season, it was custom made for him. It was downhill running. There was some gap scheme, a little bit of wide zone as well at times, a little bit of zone scheme in conjunction with the gap stuff they were running, the, the the duo and all that good stuff, the double teams. So I think Icky, to me, is just he, – he lacks elite pass protection traits that you look for in some of the best in the game at the moment. 
it doesn't mean it can't get better. I'll also say this. Like, there was one he got beat on on an inside move by, I think it was Chubb, in the Dolphins game. And I think you have to step back and look at offensive line play very carefully because, you know, like, I, I fancy myself as someone who can look at tape and decipher what I'm seeing pretty clearly. The one area I'm very careful not to be too hard on is individual offensive linemen. And, and I'll be very honest with you. Sometimes you can see guys that are just terrible, and you know right away they're overmatched. This collective unit right now, you got to remember, it's, it's really a bad situation because they rely so much right now on with Bryce being where he is as a rookie. And I, the, the, the height thing, you can talk about that all day long. It's more about giving a rookie quarterback protection and comfort within a pocket. And when your two starting guards from last year are out, that's a big deal. Aquanu individually, there have been moments where you look and say, yeah, that looks bad. But if you see like a five-man protection sometimes and the, the tackle swings inside or moves inside to help, that's the protection call sometimes. It's not always that, oh, they just let a guy walk right around him. No, there are predisposed calls in place for protections. And without getting too technical, there are times where you can blame a left tackle or a right tackle for whiffing where they're supposed to be a hot read by the quarterback or some type of protection from the back. If they're going empty and it's, you know, it's five-man protection across the board with no back available, then you've got to look out for your hots in that situation. So some of this is on the quarterback as well. But there are times where Aquanu does look a little overmatched in terms of the speed rush. I'll be completely honest. I think he's a road grader. He's an effective run blocker. I, I said this leading up to his rookie season. I said it last year around this – I think it was on the same week last year, uh, around the same week when the Panthers went into Los Angeles in Steve Wilkes' first game. And Akeem Aquanu, I believe, got the perfect grade um, – from PFF or close to perfect grade in terms of pass protection. I, re- I told Billy during the show, if you look at the tape uh, and you look at the passing chart, like all the passes were like at or behind the line of scrimmage. So again, PFF does a fine job grading players out for the most part, but you can't take a 90 plus grade by Iki Aquanu in some of these games and say, well, you know what? From a pass blocking standpoint, I want to see how he's doing in critical situations when it's obvious pass rushing downs, third and eight plus, second and seven plus. Um, third and 14, how are you looking one-on-one? Are you able to, you know, help pick up other guys on your interior or your offensive line in terms of the protection calls, which obviously we don't know all of them. So to, to suggest that Icky's a bust, I'm not going to go there. Not yet. I don't see him as a bust. I see him as a guy that if he needs more insulation and to be a power force moving forward, you hate to say this, but I don't think the franchise considers this to be an option right now. I might kick him into left guard. I might. I'd like to see what he could do at left guard. But again, there's a lot of moving parts right now. Um, Zach Daniels chimes in. Do you believe the Panthers are sellers by the end of the trade deadline? Any changes you'd like to see once... Thomas Brown takes over play calling. That's Zach underscore Daniels, too. Um, as far as the the trade deadline talk, that's on Halloween, by the way, November, I'm sorry, October 31st. And I don't think the Panthers are going to be buyers. I think they're going to potentially be sellers. I think you're going to have an interesting landscape of teams by that point. And you see this right now with teams like Detroit and, and, and several others who might have an interest in an edge rusher. Now, let me be really clear. I think Brian Burns has had a good season. I do. I think he's worth uh, among some of the elite contracts for edge rushers in this league. I'm not going to get into this quarrel, this debate, this toxic bullshit that we do on Twitter where, 
well, you know, Brian Burns had two tackles, this and that. You got to understand Simon football and how much he's having to do right now on the field. Now, there are moments where, yeah, he, he would like to have that play back. There are moments where it's not great. But I think, again, I would not like to see Burns go. If I'm the general manager, I would probably be listening to phone calls. If a team, and I have no knowledge of this, this is just speculation, if you can find a way to recover a first-round pick or maybe a first and a second, I don't know if that double first-round pick uh, report from the Rams last year for Brian Burns is still on the table at this point. That's not a knock on Burns. It's just the Panthers might have lost a little leverage at this point. Uh, Jeremy Chin, the news with him uh, today, again, going uh, down with the quad injury, that complicates things a bit. And I talked with Mike Kay earlier on my uh, show down here on iHeartRadio, and it's a good lesson in, as Mike and I were talking about, maybe the timing was a little bit off. If they wanted to try to move Chin, I have no direct line from the front office or anybody says they were trying to, but there were some sensible trade partners out there. Uh, I think you got to look at guys – Go to Spotrack, go to uh, Over the Cap, go look at contracts, look at guys like Dante Jackson and others, Chin coming up, and see what's a viable contractual move. Burns makes a lot of sense. I get it on the surface. There's been a lot of talk about that. So I would say at this point, if they if they start buying, um, that's almost malpractice, a fireable offense almost. If they go out and they trade future assets for a Jerry Judy or a Cortland Sutton, uh-uh, no, no, no. And I don't think Scott's going to do that. Uh, this question is uh, from Jeremy Castle on Twitter. Is it worth firing Fitterer when a new GM would have to win without getting to pick his quarterback at coach, which would probably limit the candidates to actually want the job? No, it's not. And in my opinion, this is not to, to defend anybody. We're six weeks into a rookie quarterback's first season with a brand-new coach, brand-new set of coaches, brand-new offensive coordinator about to start calling plays. The last thing this franchise needs to start doing is getting reckless. Sit tight. Focus your efforts this season. And it's been partially successful from his own development in keeping Bryce moving forward, getting his confidence up. There's, And I've been in this locker room. I've, I work the locker room on the beat for 99.7 The Fox. I can tell you right now, and a guy like Mike Kay, who I talk to every day, can, can pretty much back me up on this. There's no mutiny in the locker room. Nobody's checked out. It's just been a hard go right now. Adam Thielen, I think, said it best this week. He's excited about Thomas Brown moving into that role. As for Scott Fitter, look, there's there's moves made that you can look at and say, you like the Dante Jackson extension, perhaps. Uh, The fact that there was a lot of strife with the Brian Burns contract. I actually think it's probably best for both sides to take a breather there and examine things moving forward. I know Burns wants to get paid. I don't blame him. But I don't blame Scott for not doling out the money yet. I think you got to be careful with that. As for trading to Chicago, uh, your DJ Moore and the, the picks for next year, it, it's so reactionary right now because, look, it, 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 there's a line from as good as it gets. And, again, I'm going to butcher it, but Jack Nicholson said, it's not that you had it so bad. It's that you're that pissed off that everybody had it so good. <laughs> and it's the perfect storm when you look around. You saw Richardson sowing flashes of greatness before he got hurt. He's out for the season now, by the way. Um, you saw, of course, Stroud. You're seeing Stroud within that structure with Bobby Slowick and, and D'Amico Ryans with weapons that I think ultimately are better separators, but not overall better on paper, at least at the first glance, than what Carolina had. You're seeing that. You're seeing McCaffrey thriving, DJ Moore thriving. You know, the Chicago's got your first pick next year, and it's like, oh, it's not just that Bryce Young is winless right now and we can't protect him, and Adam Thielen's the only viable pass-catching threat to date, 
but it's the fact that all these other things around us are going so well that we once had. I get it. Um, I, I give Scott some time. Not too much time. I think this is a short-term league, but I, I, I would be willing to give this entire thing two full seasons. You don't understand how much work had to go into pulling this staff together. And I understand there's a lot of consternation with the fan base, but there were some broken pieces left behind by the prior regime. Steve Wilkes came in and cleaned that shit up fast. But was Steve the best hire moving forward for offensive development? That's a philosophical question that the owner had to answer. And he answered it by hiring an offensive coach and a lot of offensive staffers to go in the door. And he went out and spent a lot of money on defensive assistance. And that's a big part of what's going on right now. The defense is thin. They're top-heavy in terms of their depth chart. And when it gets down to the bare bones in terms of who they're playing out there right now, they're giving up 30, 40 points a game, and they're getting gashed in the run game again. It's hard for a rookie quarterback to win games in this league. Whereas you look at the Texans, they're attacking on defense, making plays. Uh, I, I don't know. I, just, I, I, I understand people want to fire Scott Fitterer. Uh, I'd hold off on that. Not because I think he's the next coming of Ron Wolf. I respect him. I think at this point it makes no sense to fire him. I would see that as a counterproductive move in the middle of the season. I would. Uh, Steve-O writes, uh, Jerry Judy or Jamison Williams? Well, if I had to pick, it'd be Jamison Williams, of course, because he goes back with uh, quarterback Bryce Young. Um, More questions here. Um, This is from Ethan. Why is Chin not getting the reps with the injuries we have on D? I get he's, he's not the best in coverage, but still with his athletic ability, he must play. Uh, this staff views him as a coverage liability on the back end, I believe, um, in terms of the two primary safeties uh, that, that are playing in that, uh, that two-deep structure. And again, they're playing a lot of cover three. They're rotating late, so it'll, it'll be designed as a late rotation cover three. Look at snap, pre-snap, it might have the look of quarters or even cover two at times. But they're relying on one of those two safeties uh, to be, uh, you know, athletic enough to cover a, a tight end in tight space and, and need to cover a slot receiver at times. And Chin, even when they moved him into this nickel position, I, I just think this staff assessed what he was and moving to the 34 base and then moving to the sub packages they have, I, I don't think they believe him to be a good coverage fit for what they want to do he's intense he's great in pursuit he can hit I I don't gander they're going to take a look at him at, at linebacker at this point in terms of all the linebacker injuries they've had I don't think they view him as a stack backer now what do I think I, I still think you should try to get something out of a player who showed tremendous growth and tremendous playmaking ability in his first season but that's got to align with the coaching philosophy here and I just think the, the the staff here needs time to sort of assess what they have. And I think that's part of the problem here with the rush to panic. And I'm hoping the owner, David Tepper, is not pushing down too hard on this to start moving guys off the roster. I, I think one of the biggest things that, flaw, that, that, that contributes to the flaws on this team right now is the fact, like I said earlier, you're bringing in so many new moving parts around this rookie quarterback, and you're dealing with injuries you can't control. You're thin on your depth defensively. You're thin in some spots offensively. You don't have downfield playmakers on offense. You got Thielen, who's burning a hole in the league right now, but you get in very little separation to the tight end position. Now, when play calling changes, Thomas Brown gets his stamp on this. Maybe you see more tempo and more 
motion, more, I, I don't know, better passing concepts, better route concepts. Some of the route concepts I saw in that game in the Miami second half were just depressing. And, you know, obviously part of that is just the fact that you've got very few separators there. Ed Cool. Hey, Ed Cool. How you doing? One of my favorites. Uh, he writes on Twitter, Our guards are making things hard for Bryce due to poor pass blocking. Even with Corbett coming back, should we trade for one before the deadline? Absolutely not. I, I Again, my stance on this is don't trade for any veteran players. Don't do it. Not, I mean, like if it's a, if it's a Jamar Chase or a, a Jefferson, what does that cost? And you already see Jefferson on IR right now. Not that I wouldn't take him. I just slow down a little bit. I, I know everybody's a little pissed off they're 0-6. But again, look at the Lions last year. Again, I, I don't want to make this leap to say, oh, it's, you know, this situation's the same as this. They were 1-6 this time last year. Uh, Jacksonville with Doug Peterson was 2-6 this time last year. They were 3-7 at one point. A lot of teams, and Frank historically is one of these coaches who has started a little bit slow. I have no explanation for that. I don't think there's any data to point to and say, well, this is why he's a slow starter. But here he is again, the worst start of his uh, NFL coaching career. I I don't think you just – I I think Corbett's going to make a huge difference coming back, and he'll be back soon. But again, the challenge here is keeping the line together for a while. And you never know, like maybe Mays. Cade Mays could come in, much like an Andrew Norwell did a while back. And if he gets enough reps, maybe he comes into his own and becomes one of your starting guards. I don't think people are sold that Christensen is going to be a long-term starting guard to left guard. I think he's solid. I think you take for granted what you had. I think Zavala, I love the prospect, and I'm glad he's okay with a neck injury, but there was some tough tape on him early in the season. But but easy, cool. I'm glad you chimed in because he the, the guards have been a, a challenge this year. And, and for this offense, it's bad. I'll make one more observation, too. I think Bryce needs to run more. I think he needs to get more comfortable with getting out there and just when the play is not there, I, I like the fact that he's staying poised in the pocket and taking his time through his progressions. That's important. But I think there's moments where he could take off and get you know, 12, 15 yards and slide. I don't think fans need to hold their breath every second this quarterback's running. I'm not suggesting design read options. That's not going to work for him. The problem, too, is when you talk to scouts throughout this process, and I mentioned this throughout the offseason, Bryce does not have the, the Newton ability or the Richardson ability to escape. So you know defensive coordinators, and this was evident early on in the preseason with Detroit uh, coming to uh, the Bank of America Stadium for the preseason game, especially with the Jets, and then early in the season against uh, Atlanta. Edge rushers have a two-way go on Bryce Young. Because they know, historically, he does not run a lot out of structure. He's not going to want to do that. Now, he'll he'll work the pocket, but you don't have to play contain on Young, as you have in the past with some of the mobile quarterbacks, like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and others, even Mahomes, for that matter. Bryce does not run enough to warrant yielding uh, in putting up the yield sign for, for defensive coordinators to tell their edge rushers, no two-way goes here. No pinning your ears back on every passing down. Um. But that's just an observation I had. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see here. Forever Young writes, uh, and this is Keith uh, Midmitch on Twitter, if the burn situation doesn't get resolved this year, will they franchise tag him next year? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I still have a sneaking suspicion that they may try to shop him. That's based on no reporting. That's based on my own instincts. That's uh, If you're looking to recover first-round picks or a first-round pick, he would be the most suited to do that, and that's a compliment to his skill set and for his demand around the league. But I'd be careful to do that. And as far as his contract, I 
I, look, all I'll say this is I respect Brian and his his camp. I respect Scott, and I think they're both digging in a pretty hard line on this, and, and that's part of the business. And some teams shut down their negotiation operations in season because of that, and they, they have a hard stopping point uh, because they don't want this to get murky and – but it's hard to gauge, and this is, I'll leave you with this, and I appreciate the questions this week. I think I got to most of them. Um, if I didn't, we'll do it on the next episode. Uh, roll coverage writes, how long until Fitterer is fired? I think we covered that. <laughs> I, I Honestly, if he gets fired this year, I think it's a, a just a gross mistake um, by by the front. I, I think there's, there's more to this than just saying, well, Scott Fitter screwed us, fire him. They could go 1-16. And if the quarterback is doing his job and they're just giving up 400 yards a game on defense and they can't block up front and they can't establish a running game, that that's that's something that I would still say, okay, it's year one. I know it's unfathomable at this point to think your team could be that bad. I still think they're going to get a handful of wins this year. It's a one-week-at-a-time proposition. Uh, we appreciate you listening today to the Roar Podcast. Again, thank you for being patient. Uh, I've been through quite a bit of a up and down turbulent few weeks here uh for those who don't know i lost my mother four years ago and uh the anniversary of her passing was recently and it's always a tough time uh not to mention the fact that uh it's been tremendously busy at home i've got uh some family members who are dealing with medical issues right now uh as well as a a litany of other jobs i'm handling right now from a media perspective so this is not my way of dodging you guys it's just been a tough go but moving forward, we, we feel like we're stabilizing things a little bit with those situations, and I'm excited to be talking Panthers with you, even if they're 0-6. What the hell? For Billy Marshall, I'm John Ellis. Thanks for listening to the Roar Podcast. Don't forget, we got another episode coming up later on, closer to the weekend, and then much more as we lead into a big game between the Houston Texans and the Carolina Panthers. You guys have a great night.